Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. All right, we're back with another episode of Around the Coin. We have the three of us here today. This is going to be, I, I, I can just feel it. This is going to be an exciting conversation. Just the pre-show is energized from Faisal's travel. I just got back from Summit at Sea. Brian's taking helicopters to buy snap goggles and we just elected donald trump as president so we've got plenty to talk about today uh before we kick it off and dive into the you know i think the 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 weight of the conversation being trump we want to kick a few conversations around uh to look at new perspectives faisal's been traveling to what 17 countries i think it was no uh, last 17 cities eventually Uh, i think it's about nine countries Nine countries. So, is this the mo- Is this the is this the biggest world tour? I mean, have I you- have done. Yes, absolutely, no doubt about it. Wow! It's still. It started on the second of November. I think it'll end on the seventeenth of December. So, and and we talked a little bit about your adventures with the five hundred euro note. So yeah, uh, you know. Um, unbeknownst to well as is normal in my culture we take a lot of cash with us so you know 500 euro note no big deal took it How, with me what's the equivalent of, of just is that euro note just 500 euros uh, about 600 and some dollars gotcha. i believe so it's one single note 600 bucks right uh took a couple of them uh you know just in case in cards get stolen or something like that you have ample of money uh went to amsterdam tried changing it nope don't accept it Tried going here and there. Nope, don't accept it. I said, okay, screw you. You know, I'll, I'll get it, I'll get it changed from somewhere. Ended up in Lisbon. Um, saw saw my hotel clerk. Uh, you know, I said, okay, I want to pay my bill. No, we won't accept it. Went to a Michelin star restaurant. No, won't accept it. Went everywhere. Just wouldn't accept it. And some people were literally caressing the note. And I was like, what? What's, what? What are they doing? I mean, this is sick, right? Turns out it was the first time they ever saw one. Really? Just the, yep, no, the note that large, huh? They haven't seen it. And then the guy told me in Lisbon, he says in Portugal, six to 700 euros is the salary of a person per month for wow. about 70, wow. for 70, 80% of the people. So this is about, what, 22, 23 days of, uh, you know, money that we're holding. You got to be careful walking around with that, Faisal. <laughs> I know. Uh, but no, those are very safe cities. But it was very, very difficult to find uh, someone who would change it. In fact, so much so when I landed in Copenhagen, I showed it to the, uh, to the you know, the, the lady at the hotel who was going to change it for, uh, you know, the Danish Kronos for me. She saw it for the very first time. And she's been in the hoteling industry for a long, long time. I was like, this is, 
thirty percent of the euro the euro currency uh, circulation is in the five hundred uh, euro notes, and many people have not seen it. Hmm. So you could actually you could actually cover the, the you know the letters five zero zero, and they would not be able to recognize the note. So was this a, this can't be the highlight of the trip? You're you're in all these cities. I mean, tell us more about what what it's like. So, I mean, what have you learned? You must have met some incredible people. Oh, I met I met many people. I you know VCs, investors, uh, startups from you know, Holland fintech from Germany. They were visiting Amsterdam, uh, in Lisbon. The Web Summit was is a huge thing. I mean, you know, fifteen thousand exhibitors. If you can just grapple and grasp that concept, uh, you know, 57,000 visitors. Uh, it's unbelievably huge. I don't think so. I will ever go back again. It's just too big. <laughs> uh, it, it's, imagine it being South by Southwest confined to three city blocks or two city blocks, you know? Wow. Uh, dense. So, very dense. Yeah, very dense. Um, but I've been looking at, you know, talking to people, how they're viewing payments, payments in Europe, payments all over the world. Um I have yet to find, in fact, I did find a shop or two in Amsterdam that said we are a non-cash establishment. That means they will not accept cash. Faisal, uh, yet, what, what, uh, what kind of business? What kind of business put up a sign like that? I, uh, uh, I think it was uh, one of those um, stores that sell memorabilia and all that stuff. Wow, okay. A souvenir shop kind of a thing. Perfect. Mm. Yeah. So you're uh, you're traveling. So let me ask you, what's the what's the catalyst to this? How did you get the inspiration to make this grand trip? And are, do you have a mission behind this, or is this around? Uh, no, it didn't. It didn't come that way. So I said, okay, I want to go to Lisbon. The Portuguese embassy was not issuing visa. The uh, Dutch embassy was. I said, oh, cool. Go to Amsterdam. Go down to Portugal. Uh, do the thing, and you know, maybe stop at Copenhagen because I work for the VCs over there. And that was it. And then my other friend called and he says, hey, I heard you're going to be in Europe. Yep. He says, well, why don't you come to, you know, Munich? We're right next door. The other guy says, oh, well, if you're coming to Munich, why don't you come to Berlin? The other guy says, okay, if you're coming to Berlin, why don't you come to Prague and Salzburg and so forth and so forth. So all the appointments just started, you know, setting up. So I said, okay, what, well, you know, it's it's pointless for me to go back and then come back again and go back and come back again. Mm. So it's going Any- to be long, long six weeks and visiting clients, visiting prospects and definitely visiting a lot of random people who I love to meet and, you know, make acquaintances with. Yeah, you have to let us know if there's any stories or key learnings that you've taken out of some great meetings from people. I think I'll probably do that at the end of, end of the whole thing, which ends, yeah, wrap up. you know, end, end of end of uh, like middle of December. Mm-hmm. And then document the whole thing. But it's been very nice. You know, I've been trying to find um, a company or a, a store that would not accept cash. Everything is there. Uh, you know, everyone loves cash. Sure, uh, cash is faster, but so are cards, etc. But, you know, it, it, I'm still documenting it. Let's see how it goes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I've been following, if anyone's been looking at Brian's Twitter, uh, you've been blowing <laughs> up about the spectacles. And we talked a little bit pre-show about on Snapchat and how brilliant some of the moves are. What's your what's your take on it, Brian? I mean, you you drove up from what, probably well over an hour in the car. People are flying helicopters to get some. I mean, wh- what's your wh- what's going on? Well, uh, good morning, gentlemen. And uh, let's let's take a perspective here. Snap is a fluke in a lot of people's minds. It's sort of a sort of a company that everybody sort of discounted in the Bay Area. They figured it was just going to come and go. 
Unfortunately for a lot of people, that didn't happen. And we have now a company that is involved in the development of hardware, which we call Spectacles, but also in a new distribution of this hardware called the SnapBot. So SnapBot is a vending machine, but it's not like most vending machines. It's custom designed, um, uh, actually made in California. And uh, it sort of looks like the uh, Minion character. It's got a monocle sort of eye. Uh, it's uh, The eye is a video display screen, and it's got three buttons across the front, and it's got a big smile at the bottom, which is the delivery door, along with credit card and, very soon, Apple Pay acceptance. What is, mm. what is the premise of SnapBot? It is a pop-up limited distribution system. I'm not going to advocate that Snap sells all of their products forever through vending machines, but I am going to say they are going to revolutionize new buying experiences. So Evan said that Spectacles is a toy when he released it or released the idea of uh, this coming out. Released it on a Friday night. Unlike most news cycles, uh, you know, Tuesday morning, uh, Monday morning is usually the time, 6 a.m. Uh, East Coast time. He did it on a Friday at around 6 o'clock uh, California time. So very quirky to begin with. And why is it a toy? Uh, it's a toy in in the way of that it's not designed to be taken extremely seriously. It's, it's the opposite of what Google Glass was about. Mm. And the the premise originally was just to produce a few thousand of these and then move on to another version and, and, and other products. You know, sunglasses are, by their nature, fashion items, particularly for the cohort that would be utilizing spectacles and snap. I mean, the cohort is 12 to 24-year-old uh, individuals, primarily. I'm not saying only, but primarily. And spending $129 on a pair of medium-grade fashion Sunglasses is not out of the question. Uh, and if you're coastal, it's very likely that you may have spent that much already, primarily if you're a female. Uh, and so on non on just regular sunglasses. On regular fashion sunglasses. Yeah. Oh, this one this one just so happens to have all of this other capability. So, so what the, is what is some of that capability? I mean, what what is it? What's the what's the vision behind the capability here? Well, the idea is for Snap, obviously, to start getting involved in hardware. And my belief is Snap is going to produce 50% of their revenues via hardware in the next 10 years. And I'd even go on to say that Evan uh, uh, Spiegel will probably go down to be closer to Steve Jobs in his vision of how he's going to change the marketing and the invention of hardware than anybody else that we've seen in quite a long time. I mean, there's some people who have come close, but not as close as I think Evan is going to be. And a lot of people think that's bombastic and crazy. Uh, let's revisit that in 10 years. Mm. Uh so what is Spectacles? Spectacles is a medium grade, um, 10 to 30 second, perhaps, uh, video capture system that Bluetooths uh, the information to your phone or your app. And it's designed for you to be in the moment. And it's a very simple thing that was right there in plain sight. And that is by the time you want to capture a moment and take out your phone, and get into the app that you're going to use and capture it, it's no longer the moment. It's now opposing. It's now an artificial moment. And Snap is about in the moment capture, the moment that it, it, it comes to you that you want to capture this experience, you touch your temple, and it's it's captured. Now, So just basically much easier than your phone. I mean, your phone kind not, of not only much easier. it's a little awkward. 
Yeah, and, 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 and you're holding an item up in front of somebody and they're going to pose. This is not about posing. Mm-hmm. The, this is about capturing a moment. And I'll give you a visual. And, and a, anybody listening, if you're not this age, go back to this age. You're 17 years old. You're on the beach. It's your first date with somebody you absolutely are head over heels in love with. You want to capture that moment. You're frolicking in the waves. You reach up and you tap you your temple. You heard had a great childhood. Well, yeah. <laughs> nice California life. <laughs> yeah, right? I, I grew up in Jersey, so I always dreamed of it. So you capture that moment, and 10 years from now, it's going to be gold. 20 years, 30 years from now, you're going to be like, wow, I can't believe it. And so that's one of the premises. The other premise is it's just funky. I mean, the video capture, you can literally turn the view on any angle, and it will always be seen correctly it's it's literally a a, a 360 degree sort of lens so you that's that, brian that's let me ask you this do you think they'll just turn that into an, a voice do will they go down the voice path of course of having a little microphone in there and you just ask something and then you know they they just play it in your ear of course uh will, in they, fact, will they build out the google glass vision that just yes. never happened Yes, uh, but but not anywhere near like Google. Listen, it's no accident that Snap is in Southern California, surrounded by the dream machines, uh, the, the 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 script writers, the animation people, uh, the actors and actresses. This is where this creativity is going to come from. Steve would t- tap into that creativity, Steve Jobs, and we haven't seen that creativity come from most, if not all, of the top uh, startups and start top certainly the top tech companies. In the Bay Area, I mean, you mentioned Google. Google probably did everything the opposite than what Snap's going to do. And this is the whole premise about the marketing system. So what's Snap doing? Snap is creating a map where you're going to be able to scavenger hunt style, find where these vending machines are. And uh, on Thursday, it was in Venice Beach, California. No accident. It was right in front of the old Snapchat headquarters, which was oh, a, the little house in the a boardwalk? beach bungalow on the oh, on, yeah. on the boardwalk. And it moved down. And today, it's in a place called Loma Vista, which is south of Big Sur. It's pretty much in, a, in the middle of nowhere. And that is Evan and Snap's way of saying, hey, San Francisco, you want to come down and get this, take a nice drive through Big Sur, hang out, have a picnic and buy yourself some Snap. You know, it's it's sort of an anti-marketing marketing system. It's equivalent to sort of an, an inverse Pokemon Go sort of phenomenon. Uh, and, and it, yeah, inverse in the sense that uh, you're going after one character. It's uh, it's the Snapbot. And mm. let's let's decode Snapbot. Snapbot is an immersive, theatrical, uh, exhibition shopping experience. Again, look at the primary co- cohort. So You're the bot, 17 the bot years is old. different. So the bots bots literally a machine that they're it, just going to. It's a vending put. machine where you buy the glasses, but it's an experience. Oh, I see. So you had to drive to Loma Vista to get this. This is the only no. place they sell it. No, no. Uh, I drove the. I drove to uh, uh, Venice Beach. And I acquired a pair of spectacles. I kind of reverse engineered it, did what I needed to do, took some pictures, and then I sold it for quite a lot of money to somebody who wanted them. Uh, and so I, I had no choice. They were a friend, and you know they reached a number where I couldn't say no, and they had to have it. So I watched, and I figured it's going to be somewhere in California, out in the middle of nowhere, I predicted. I would think in Mojave, but you know, Loma Vista is a nice Mojave in a sense. It's right near the beach, Big Sur. And so when it landed, I just took to the internet, looked up a few phone numbers, found somebody, a gentleman by the name of Jorge. 
And he bought me one and he bought himself two and he's selling them on, on eBay for $700 and shipping mine out. Mm. He took a picture and has a picture of the FedEx receipt. And I have pretty much 99.99% assurity that Jorge is going to follow through. I love humanity. I love the fact that I can call somebody up and they will take a crazy call on a Sunday morning from somebody like me. Imagine hearing me Sunday at seven o'clock in the morning and Jorge oh, we don't took have that to call. imagine it. Yeah. You know what it's like, right? <laughs> so the, the buying experience now today, it's going to be a lot more rare because they're really trying to constrain supply, make it into a bit of a mania. It, it's already working. There's a lot of people I'm told there is a traffic pattern coming down from San Francisco down the one for people to buy these things. They're going to sell out in about two and a half hours. I think that's when the first people uh, will finally start read, uh, reaching this area. If you've ever been south of San Francisco on the one going to Big Sur, it is a it is a, a brilliant drive. I mean, it's just beautiful, but it's a lot of twisty, turny roads. I tell people to be really safe. So, the, uh, so, so I have to say, so I have to ask on the on the is, is spectacle. I mean. Where is it in terms of the progress? Is it early, early stages? Are people using it? Did you actually see yes. adoption across? Yeah. In, in Venice Beach, I saw people ripping off, open the box, people who are random people that didn't even know that it was going to and be you, there. So you're working, it connects to your phone, Bluetooth, log into it, and then just press a button and Press a button on your temple and it takes your snaps and it, it automatically puts it into your, uh, uh, your essentially what your and timeline is. you have to have your, your phone on there? You have to have your phone in your pocket. Yeah, got it's, it. It's so connects to your phone. Yep. Yeah, but but it's early days. What I'm really excited over is the ability of a company to absolutely be empirical, to go into the real world, and instead of sitting up in their ivory towers and saying, you know, and nothing against engineers. I'm a nerd. I'm an engineer. But a bunch of engineers sitting around saying, you know, let's get to statistical studies and find the central cohort that would like to have the... That's not what happened. This is a whimsical type of thing. It's Evan hiring the right people who kind of just get the vibe of the culture that is right now and saying to themselves, how are we going to sell these things? You know, the easy way would be, oh, we'll get Sunglass Hut to sell them or we'll put them in Walmart or we'll get, a, we'll get them exclusive at the Apple store or we'll sell them on a website. No. What do they do? They said, we'll get a vending machine. And we'll put balloons on them in a video. If you see the video, it's literally yeah. It's they, cute. They, they they have a lot more fun. For sure. They but but isn't that what it should be? I mean, if the central cohort is twelve to twenty four years old, that's what your marketing should be like. That's what your your uh you know your your whole advertising concept should be like. And it's it's confusing the heck out of most of the startup world because it's so opposite from the overthinking, overproduction. Uh, over um, nerdy, I got to give it to the right VCs in the hands of the right people so that they tell good, their friends. Snap's not doing that at all. They're putting it in places where people got to really want to go to get them and got to really mm. you know, make a, a trip of it. And I think that's going to go on for the next month or two. Uh, they will sell out. His, history so will probably does, uh, say. How does that? one follow Brian on Snapchat? Um, my first and last name, I have not a single snap. But Come I will. on, you can't buy this. You can't buy the spectacles and not use them. Uh, well, I I have, but that was under another account. I must say, uh, so, but so my me... official account will become activated very soon. Nice. Uh, um, look forward yeah. to seeing that story. But, but anyway, I got to close off on this. The idea of self serve marketing using vending machines have now been fully qualified, 
And I think we're going to see a lot of companies do this the right way through vending and do it the wrong way through vending. But I think the right way is the idea that you can really get a, a, a direct connection to your users and bypass all distribution channels and do it in a genius way and effective. And I think Snap is revolutionizing that. And I think when history really looks back at this moment, it's going to remember spectacles as being unique and starting sort of a new trend of augmented reality. It's going to be, you know, Snap is going to be a voice first company. Spectacles, you're going to talk to it. It's going to talk back to you, the, you know, version six or whatever. But, and that's going to be big. But the other side is going to be, it would be the first company that really got the idea that they can own their entire distribution channel in a very unique way. And that's the big power here is owning your distribution channel. Mm. So on that same idea though, let me, yeah, that's a score. We'll give you five <laughs> points for that. Uh, Thank you very much. Well, Google comes back and they build Google Home and you've just installed Google Home as I take it. Yes. And um, and it's nameless, right? That's it's the nameless. Big, that's the biggest gripe. It's It hasn't got it's, a character to it. Do, guys, you know, what, what do you mean by that? What, what, is, what does it mean? Oh, come on. I mean, to understand. I, 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 so, so what was it? Every, uh, you know, science fiction thing you see, Hal, you know, Hal, what are you doing? You know, what was it? Uh, everything has a character. There's a name. So there's a personality associated with anthropomorphisms. it. Anthropomorphisms. It's called an anthropomorphism. There, there you go. Assigning, uh, you know. humans assigning something human-like say, to inanimate Say it one objects. more time. It's one more a, time, slowly. Anthropomorphism. Anthropomorphism. Thank you very much. Um, the Egyptians were big about anthropomorphisms, obviously, in a, in a different way. They would put animal heads on human bodies, etc. Um, I, I got one sitting here. Okay, Google, what time is it? Uh, she's not listening. Are you, um, are you, are you, is you know, it play? Is, I mean, you're not looking at Alexa to find o- me right o- now. Okay, good. I'll try again in a few seconds. Um, why... Why are we saying, okay, Google? Well, some, somebody, again, an engineer who, who's probably great at statistical research said that, you know, we can get people to say our name, you know, 970 million times a second. But what they're not getting is that our voice first devices are going to be the most personal, closest things to us at some point in time. I'm not saying the first generation or even the second generation. So jumping back into it, you know, Brian, what is your what are your thoughts on Google Home? Is this a, is this a pet project for them, or is this a a real powerful thing that'll make an impact in our worlds? I mean, are you that excited about it, really? Uh, I'm excited about all first uh, voice first devices, and I think Google's entry into uh, into this area is phenomenal. Uh, I would love to see them actually name it, use a a time-tested anthropomorphisms that humans assign to anything, oh, we need, we need especially the something Alexa. that already has. Yeah, you know, uh, anything that has a human quality, it's natural for humans to want to name it. And it's, I don't care what logic they used. Uh, I can tell you that it was bad logic. I would love to see every engineer and statistical researcher come to me and tell me, well, we found this and we found that. I'm going to tell you in a year or two, it's going to be ridiculous. But Just let me ask you, it. Is, Just isn't, name it, it already. Isn't, it, isn't it possible to program it and not say, okay, Google, okay, Google or can you not say, you know, okay, Steve or something? I mean, is that is that programming not possible uh, at present? 
No, it's not allowing you to change the uh, activation phrase. And um, in the future, they may do that. They might that might be a way for them and to say. Alexa face. does, by the way. Alexa doesn't either. Uh, you can say "Okay, Alexa" or "Okay, Echo." If you want to, and Siri certainly doesn't. I have ways to change all of them. Uh, I, I, I'm sure you do. If you did, hardest. you know. No, but but let me ask you: Is isn't that being too rigid? I mean, you know, okay, Alexa, okay, Alexa. Uh, try imagine selling that into the Chinese market or something. You know. <laughs> so. Um, yeah, well, one thought on it is, you know, when I go to Google, I don't tell them, you know, hey Google, can you tell me what kind of, you know butter i need for this spaghetti sauce i mean you just you just ask the question it's purely a you know objective request well, yeah. I, I don't I, until you get to a point of ai or you know the experience being so human like there's an intention maybe their intention is to keep it you know i don't want to cloud this as being potentially human like i want this to be you know a search and and i i i, I can see a counter argument there well all right so here's the thing Yes, you're not going to fall in love with your web browser and the web interface to Google. No, there's I, that's there's no anthropomorphism there. But you will fall in love with the voice that's talking to you and interacting with you in a personal level. And over time, this voice uh, will wind up telling you things that are going on in your life, friends, family. It's going to report and talk to you about great things and terrible things. And that voice is designed, they pick the voice because it's got the right characteristics. It's a calming voice. So it's a tremendous amount of research that goes into uh, the voice um, uh, that both Siri, Alexa, and uh, and now Google are using. And it's no accident that it's a female voice. And a lot of people uh, s- sort of say, well, gosh, this is um, in, in this day and age, why is it a female voice? And I go, no, but Siri, there's a lot Siri of has, for uh, this. Siri has many accents. Uh, if you look uh, at it, male voices, the British... of course. Yeah, 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 absolutely. It's, uh, it's but, weird but, calling but, Siri and it's a male voice. I got to say no, that. Yeah, okay, fine. <laughs> so, but, but the thing is, know. 300 million or, you know, whatever, 500 million, a, th- a billion at best English speaking, but the rest of the world is still Some not other speaking language. English, right? Yeah. So, yeah. And, it, and it, this is, this okay, is how big the market Google is. Would not, Listen, okay. as far as I'm concerned, 50% of all human and computer interactions are going to be via voice in 10 years. And when you look at the, the vast opportunity of different languages, different cultures, different uh, methodologies of how you're going to interact with those cultures. It's an enormous, enormous opportunity. But getting back to anthropomorphisms and and, and the, the, the cold Google interface that you might have on a browser, that is not the world that we're going to live in when we're talking to our devices. And the more personal it gets, the less you want to talk to a corporation and the more you want to talk to a person. And I respect this that. is and this is just this is part of what we talk a lot about on the show about you know empirical praxis doing the right research getting out in the real world seeing how people are really using voice for systems i'm not talking about my gut instinct necessarily at this moment it is i'm talking about my empirical research i already know how people are interacting with their voice first devices i've been playing around with alexa since 2014 and i not only have my own family but other res- other research that i've done and seeing how people interact with it and how endearing this system and device and voice comes into the family or even to the individual that uses it. And it is uh, incredibly dumb on Google's part that they are listening to the wrong people and they're doing it from the wrong st- uh, state of mind. So it, that's the you know, not-so-positive part. But on the, on the, on the uh, very, very positive part, uh, Google uh, Home and the Google Assistant is superior 
to probably anything out there. Not that it's better than Alexa or better than Siri. It's appear in a way that it has a much wider breadth and depth of knowledge base. And it can answer the questions that most people, yeah, there you go, that most people would ask and get real answers to. Yeah, and, and we're good. so early in the stage. I mean, it's just uh, I watched this interview last night with Jeff Bezos. I mean, we we're on like the tip of the iceberg here. Yes. So you know, we look at Amazon starting the trend, but really, you know, I think the writing was on a wall. This is going to happen. Uh, Alexa certainly kicked, you know, put some pressure. I'm actually surprised Google got it out the door as fast as they did. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I think it'll be exciting good, to see. Uh, they did a good job. I think the speakers should have been uh, more beefy. Uh, Alexa's speaker for music is superior to Google's. Uh, but the voice actually coming out of the speaker for Google is more superior than Alexa in a sense that you can actually hear uh, the tonality of the voice much better, the quality. They they don't have the same eight uh, or nine far-field microphones that uh, Amazon chose for Echo, and that is a big mistake for Google. Google only has two microphones. They do have some beam-forming technology around it, but it's not enough to really cut through noisy environments, so there's a win there. I really believe that if you're going to get into this stuff, you need to own both. In fact, my view is we're going to own many, many voice-first devices, and we're not going to be needing to settle on one, quote-unquote. We're going to be using them all for different reasons. Google's going to buy Sonos. And that Uh, takes us to the next topic. They should have bought Viv, all right? They should have bought Viv. That was the biggest mistake in the history of acquisitions. And nothing against Samsung, but uh, Viv should have been a Google or Apple captive, period. So, Mike, let's let's talk about you. You went to the summit at sea. Yeah, yeah. So, just got back from the three days uh, at summit at sea, so, so, which is so just yeah. just tell people what what two minute background what what the summit of sea is, is this all like about. Burning Man on a boat. Is this what you know, this is like? I, no, it's 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 uh, it's not as wild as that. It was started by founders who are longtime burners, but the evolution of the organization is really built around the vision of creating some society and culture uh, that can help propel humanity in the right direction and a time to just kind of reflect, talk to people around what's going on around the world. It was amazingly serendipitous that it happened. It start, We left the day after the election. And this is a very left-leaning boat. I mean, you're talking about artists, uh, you're talking about musicians, and uh, the, a lot of Silicon Valley is there. So generally, you know, the mood is somber. It's uh, a bit depressed and confused after Trump was elected. And I think it was uh, it was actually a really healthy space for people to talk about, like, what is going on and try to understand things. I think, if anything, there is a, a strong mentality of trying to understand, you know, what, what the, the separation. Um, but kind of back up a second. Um, the summit was started by four guys who basically, they, this is a story I heard, I wasn't involved this early, but they sent emails to maybe 15 different CEOs, founders, some companies, and they said, hey, we're all going to, I think it was somewhere in the Bahamas. And they said, we're, gonna, we're all renting an island, a little island, we're going to go kiteboarding and hang out for a weekend. Are you in? And they would name other people that were already in and committed, but they, they hadn't been. So they were kind of faking it till they make it. They got a bunch of commitments, people to say yes, and then they were sort of onto something. They rolled in next year and they throw events and they they grew from a 15 person offshore you know executive retreat basically into a 4000 person um, cruise ship and they bought a a, a a ski resort in Utah called Powder Mountain 
and, and, and they host the events same, out there. This is the same thing where no cameras are allowed, right? Yeah, they really the, the idea behind so it. So we don't know if you went to a hot tub with that. <laughs> you'll never know. You'll never know what goes on. <laughs> the idea behind it is you can have more. You can have your safer conversations with people when you know there's not going to be. You know, you can't just push it online. There's no spectacles there. And and I think that really contributes in a positive way to asking questions that could be vulnerable or, you know, just having dialogue that um, is more interesting when, you know, not to say our podcasts aren't amazing, uh, but sometimes the pre-show, you can just talk about things that are a little more, you know, controversial and that's, bit, that's totally yeah. healthy and that's totally fine. So Mike, uh, tell us some of the things that beyond the politics, we're getting into politics in a minute, but just the general, if there was anything else discussed, the general mood and feeling about the direction of technology, the technologies that are coming. You said Jeff Bezos spoke. Uh, did he speak about uh, Alexa and, and voice first technologies? Yeah. Uh, so Je- I watched Jeff Bezos just on a, on a, on a video. He wasn't on the boat. There was. Um, Eric Schmidt from Google was there. I mean, they had they had pretty amazing people there. Um, Quentin Tarantino and Kenzel Kamar gave a give a Q and A, which is pretty good. Uh, but generally, the the conversation stems more around uh, progress and less confined to technology. There are things that were discussed, such as they talked about the the future of hallucinogenics and what that means for people and how it can be useful in medicine. Um, so the effect of placebo. A, a good thing or a bad thing where they were establishing for hallucinogenics? I wouldn't say a good or a bad thing. Just a way to think about, hey, these are, this is something lives. that could be valuable to people. You know, we can cure, we can help people deal with a lot of pain, with a lot of addictions um, by using typically... Ayahuasca or mushrooms? Ayahuasca, or? other, yeah, things like that. Um, mushrooms, um, DMT or other psilocybin yeah. hallucinogenics. Things that have typically been outside the clinical spectrum of research and so there's there was that there was different talks that they have throughout the day they had one on you know marijuana was approved for uh, legal purchase in California for people over the age of 21 as well as 37 other states uh, not necessarily legal but medicinally approved and it's on its you, way yeah it's on its yeah way. In, the, in the last ele- in the last vote and and we and there was a really interesting conversation around well what does that look like are we in the early stages of uh, you know prohibition where the, uh, the the reservoir just you know the dam just broke and are there going to be major companies out there that are started to you know create create what would be our times Bacardi and um, you know Patron uh, th- yeah. those will exist and so who creates Johnny, those Johnny Walker Johnny right? Walker yeah <laughs> so I think that's a really interesting field and there's going to be a whole technology solutions built around all the problems of distribution and marketing and um, and age sales ver- management age yeah, verification ID yeah. verification yeah all those things so that's a whole new industry which will create a lot of jobs and earn a lot of uh, you know it's a lot of tax revenue it's a lot, I think it's a great thing sure um, there was, you know, all sorts of different things. Um, one was on the climate, there were a lot of talk on climate change, a lot of talk, of course, on the, on the, on the election. Um, but you know, all sorts of things. It was, you know, you meet people that are just from all walks of life, sat down at dinner and met a guy who runs, uh, some of the world's largest solar power plants. So got to talk to him around, wow. Um, yeah, really interesting conversation around, you know, what does it mean for Tesla to acquire solar, solar city? Uh, what is the future of solar? I got to ask, I, I got to ask, what did he think of Elon Musk's new uh, shingles, uh, the solar shingles? Yeah. So, you know, to, to talk on that for a second, um, very, very, very bearish on it. So oh, generally interesting. And here's a here's a couple of statistics on, on why that is. So there was a there was an act that uh, one law that effectively came into uh, action that made Solar City so successful was the incentive system um, 
to put solar panels on your roof. But in reality, solar panel technology evolved so quickly. Right now, the solar panel power plants in the middle of the desert are roughly six times more efficient of power producing than what you'd put on your on your on your roof. And what they can do is, you know, there's less than three percent losses from your outlet to to a. Uh, you know, a, a power plant in the middle of the desert. Sure. And so it makes a lot more sense to condense the technology in a offshore, you know, highly sunny area like a desert and just send the, elect- send the, send the power through the wires to your uh, building than it does to install uh, power plants in every single house. Yet yeah. that was what was passed. Um, this guy that I talked to said he met with Jerry Brown, governor of California, and basically, you know, said, why don't we, if it's, if you're purely doing this for, uh, for tax purposes, you might as well build cobblestone highways. You know, it's no more efficient than, you know, taking the approach of building condensed solar power plants in the middle of the desert. So kind of a, I don't want to go too deep on this, but one interesting takeaway was uh, they both passed the incentive act to put power, uh, solar power plants, or it's not, not power plants, uh, power solar panels on your roof. And what they would do is they said, if you produce enough power to contribute net zero to the grid, you don't have to pay for electricity. Which, you know, sounds like a great idea, right? Sure. Until you realize that the people who can afford to put uh, 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 solar panels on the roofs actually own houses. And most people who are in the lower income demographics, they don't own their house. That's right. And they can't put you know, solar panels on the roof. So what happened was we said, hey, you know, we're going to come install this for free and we're going to put, you know, the solar panel on your roof. Well, you know, Solar City has a ton of costs in the operations, hiring people to come climb your roof, you know, the sales process, all that costs money. So effectively, we're saying like, hey, if you fry from L.A. to New York and then back to L.A., it's going to cost you go net zero distance. So therefore, it's free. You know, of course, there's costs in between there. And so the same thing happened with Solar City. Solar City, you know, is a big company that effectively became successful because of this act. Now, the interesting thing on top of that is uh, is is the the incentive they placed on um property owners for anyone who uses electricity, you have an increased scale in the cost. So say you use 10 kilowatt hours, it'll cost maybe, you know, four cents per kilowatt hour. If you keep going up the scale, it costs more and more and more. So you're discouraged from using a high amount of electricity. Well, what this did was it actually reduced the overall cost for people who have big houses, right? Because you're still paying net zero. And overall, people that are in lower income demographics saw their electricity rates go up. So it just, it was a... You know, his perception was, you know, Solar City just kind of took advantage of the, I think, mistakes in the regulatory uh, environment. Um, the, the merger with Tesla, you know, was kind of a bailout for his cousin. And I, he didn't seem too bearish on it. I, he seemed kind of bearish on it. I, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a great thing, honestly. I, I think it's kind of a, a mistake in understanding how, what, what the future will be for solar panels. How about both? I mean, what does the world look like with both uh, high-density solar in the old uh, central distribution model and people with high-density on their roof? You know, like, well, they I both think you just, it doesn't – I don't think it makes sense to have both. I mean, you're going to be – right now, they're six times more efficient to have dense solar panels in the middle of the desert. And if you think about fast-forwarding to the future, you know, the oil business was effectively displaced by the – or the coal business displaced by the natural gas business, which is much cheaper. And coal. And, if, and coal. And coal. Uh, no, coal was displaced by natural gas, which is much oh, cheaper. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Next yeah. five years, uh, solar is going to be much cheaper than natural gas. And of course, you know, there's incentives such as when you install a solar panel, it just sits there. You don't have to actually pump gas out of the ground. 
And so, yeah. you know, fast forwarding to the future, you know, I think there's no other way to look at this than you're going to have dense sources of, of solar power plants in the middle of the desert. And then at very lo- low losses, you're going to send those to big cities to think that you're going to constantly install solar panels on people's roofs and then constantly change them every five years where you send out a fleet of people to go and, you know, climb people's I roofs. You. I mean, it just it doesn't make sense. You can do it with an so automated robot saying- in the middle of the desert. You're kind of saying Moore's Law, right? Because the efficiency of these solar collectors and panels are going to, you know, take the Moore's Law. Purely, uh, what, what, there's there's zero reason to install a solar panel on people's roofs other than making people feel good. I mean, it just it it makes no economic sense. There's less than three percent losses to send um, transmission power through the power lines. You know, hundreds of miles. Uh, you can replace solar solar panels in the middle of the desert, you know, easy with a robot, you know, every couple of years as they upgrade. Um, there, there, there seems to be no benefit other than jobs. I mean, but, you know, you might as well have people build cobblestone streets if you're looking for jobs to just, you might as well just See, give people money. See, this is so contrarian to what the popular narrative is. It's, it is. It's, it certainly is. It yeah. really changed my, the biggest thing I thought, Brian, was I thought there was a lot higher losses in transmission from power from, you know, hundreds of miles stretches. I thought it was on the order of 30, 40%. So if you could generate power locally, there's a bigger advantage, but I didn't, I didn't realize it was such a small loss. And I I think that's a, that's a huge reason why I just, I think it's a big mistake, honestly. So now does he think that the, because the momentum is solar on your roof. Does he feel like there's a momentum change possibly perhaps to change the ship because the ship's going in that direction now. I, mean, I think you. I think from a public perception, it looks like it may be going that direction. Uh, the vast majority of power is still produced by um, uh, you know dense power plants in the middle of the desert. That's not going to stop. That's going to keep growing. And I, I think over time, you know, it'll it'll be very clear, especially as the economics play out, that there's no you know the, the, over the last he's, he was describing to me over the last ten years, uh, the major you know billion dollar power plant uh, uh, solar panel companies have gone out of business. Um, and that's because of this effective distribution strategy to consumers, which doesn't, you know, doesn't pay for itself. The cost of having a salesperson go out and climb houses, you know, is just, it's just silly. It just, it, you totally lose any economic financial benefit you have. Um, so that was an interesting conversation. There was many more, um, it was, yeah, it was, it was a fantastic trip. I think that the conversations around Trump, I had a good conversation with, uh, with Gary Vanderchuk, and he gave a fantastic presentation around, you know, we talked about all different things, but the, the Trump election is just something I think that stood out uh, as, as a particularly left-leaning boat. Um, people just view it as a sense of confusion, and the importance of it is huge. And, and so we see this backlash of protests, and, you know, it's, it's a really interesting time. Um. <laughs> well, Brian, so you're, you're, you have a, a semi, I wouldn't call it contrarian view on it, but, you know, being that we're 50-50 in the country, how, how do you sort of digest the election in, in terms of uh, what happened? Well, I think basically my experience is I've been dealing with merchants uh, for the better part of 30 years, speaking to them directly. Uh, it's part of my whole uh, makeup. It's something I started very early on working with uh, merchant accounts and it's continued on even though I don't necessarily need to do that as aggressively these days. Uh, I, st- I still find it as a as a way for me to 
get back to the roots of what people are really like. It mm. is it is skewed. It is skewed in the sense that the people I talk to getting this data are independent business owners who are they themselves outliers from their own society. They uh, are the manifestation of of somebody who said, I'm going to leave my job and I'm going to go out and try a donut shop. I'm going to leave my job and become, uh, you know, um, a, a tire repair person. You know, I'm not going to work for the boss anymore. All these different types of individuals. So their, their view of the world uh, through the middle points of America and through the countrysides of America, even in states like California and New York, um, is radically different than what somebody who would be considered a knowledge worker or a tech worker. And over the last few years, I ever since the uh, 2008 um, recession, I've noticed a number of things. Number one, the, the number of new business formations that are not tech-related fall through the floor. I've never seen anything more devastating than that. I, I, I've been watching yeah. new business formations for decades. and the 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 real reality of it is they never came back so 2008 they fell through the floor 2000 uh you know 9 10 11 they started raising up 12 a little bit more 13 it flattened out 14 it went down 15 it went down 16 it's down and it's starting to look almost like 2008 again now when somebody looks at new business formations we're looking at the health and vitality of a country we're looking at the ability for somebody to feel confident to take a risk with all of their capital and all of the ill words they get from friends and family, you're going to fail, you don't have a degree, you're not good enough. I mean, you got to remember what it takes to start your own business and to go out there and to do it. And then to get past those first three years and survive because those first three years, close to 70% are not going to make it. Yeah. So, and- so into talking to them, I detected this has nothing to do with Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton. So I'm going to try to depoliticize this for a minute. What they detected is watching their jobs, their friends and families, and other people's jobs evaporate. And that's one of the reasons why they became independent people, because they just didn't want to sit there and take um, uh, basically income assistance or essentially welfare for the rest yes, of their lives. I think, I think both, you know, either candidate comes at it from the side of, you know, Hillary's saying it's okay. The world's not that bad. You know, we'll get through it. And Trump is saying, holy shit, you know, the world's on freaking fire. The Titanic is sinking. We need to do something. And I think well, that general sense of urgency is what unites the spark in people across the country who feel that way, which, and well, I, I, yes. And, and the thing is, these people, you know, if anybody asks me, you know, political organization, and I've been to the White House, I'm not a political consultant, but if somebody in politics asks me, what's the sentiment of the country? During all this polling, all this polling, I was laughing, unfortunately, because I was laughing out of, almost because I, I would have cried otherwise, to be frank, because the polling was so wrong. The rhetoric is so wrong. The isms are so wrong. The name calling is so wrong. The, the demonization is wrong. You know, this, you know, half the country isn't who I thought it was is wrong. No matter who won, what's really going on is people are scared and they're not necessarily looking for leadership. They're looking for answers first. And the answer is a lot of their manufacturing jobs did leave this country and they could come back. They were told they would never come back, but they could come back. And 
they when they finally understood that they really could come back, and again, a lot of people will argue this is probably about as controversial as I'm going to get today. Um, some of the reasons why the jobs left was because the investment was not there. If you remove the investment from the people now, who otherwise the have the capital. It's it's certainly not the companies themselves. I think companies want to, no. you know, assuming they have they they they, want, they would rather keep jobs here. Now you have to do what's best for the company. So with government regulation and increased costs and liability to hire people here, it's just more expensive. Exactly. So in, you know to to rewind the clock, clock for a second to give a sense of perspective on what's possible in the 1950s, the United States had the highest wages in the world. And yet we produced at the lowest cost. We produced the lowest cost items. And that's because we had the freedom of being independent from central government. You know, central government's perspective or their, their responsibility is life and liberty. I mean, they should be they should be protecting that. They shouldn't be intertwined in uh, in in the um, financial aspect of it. There well, shouldn't take, be take a step regulation. Back I mean, minimum wage, everything else like that is take really a, a sentiment towards making the, the cost of hiring someone more expensive. Yeah, take so a step a company, back. All right, take a step back just for a second. Second there, um, you, you're, and you're getting really close to that point. The amount of money expended by a small business, and I'm not talking about environmental laws. Everybody, will, this is the unfortunate part about the narrative that's going on here. It's not, you know, you know, those companies were dumping their junk in the river. No, not all of them were. And uh, most of the companies that we're talking about in the 1950s were good citizens of their neighborhoods, and they were doing cutting-edge work to be as clean as possible. What was going on here is whenever you create regulators, regulators will regulate. Whenever you create lawmakers, lawmakers will make laws. And if you look at throughout history, what chokes off every society— Every culture that failed is that regulators overregulate, lawmakers make too many laws, and then there is a division amongst the the asset workers, the people that create assets in a country, and then the people who are wanting to take away from those people that create assets. Yeah, because purely for, I mean, purely for the fact that it costs more to hire someone here in the United States than it does overseas because of regulation that goes into it. I mean, there's just, I think, no question that if you reduce the power of central government, people would be less costly to hire and you would see jobs come back. I don't think we need more regulation to force jobs to come back. Exactly. I mean, then you're just going to bankrupt. The, the way to get rich for the poor, the way to bring a middle class is not to take money from the rich. It's to give the rich you know, enough money to invest in the poor at a low enough cost to where they can provide well, returns. Mike, here's the problem with this argument. Is this argument is logical, it's factual, it's provable. But it's, it's proven. But, but, it's been done. But until it's politicized. To- but it's politicized. What you are just advocating right now, somebody can easily label you now. And then if you went and put this out on Twitter, you would be attacked. You would be but painted. How, but no, I, you I would disagree. be painted with I, I a br- think- No, I'm telling you, it's going on right now. People aren't listening to true rational thought. You would be painted with a brush. You'd be called prospect. Possibly a Nazi. You would. Uh, uh, they would put a yellow hair uh, uh, a buffoon uh, thing on I, you. I think Brian, no, nothing I'm stating is not um, proven. Just economic fact. I mean, all I'm saying I'm is that it, if it costs more to hire someone in location X than in location Y, you're just gonna, you know, you're gonna buy location Y. If a T-shirt is identical and one costs twenty and one costs fifty, you're just gonna buy the one that's twenty. These are just pure economic well, facts. Yes, and so it, when we make hiring someone in the United States much, much more expensive because of over 
overregulation, liability, risk, wage regulation, you know, fringe costs, payroll well, costs, workers' comp, and, and I mean, all these else. things but, roll but, together. But, you know, gentlemen, let me let me step in here. You know, sure. I mean, there are two two very famous Nobel laureates. Uh, Paul Krugman has said it. Joseph Stiglitz has said it. Uh, you know, Robert Reich has said it. Uh, and there are so many more classical economists who will tell you that since 1970s till today, the average median American wage has actually gone down. Yes. Gone down. While the inequality has, has gone up significantly. There is the not the issue of over-regulation. And, you know, the, the neoclassical guys will say, well, you know, it's too much over-regulation. We need to have free market economies. Free markets economies don't work because they have, once you get, past a certain threshold of money, that money is then used to lobbying. And I mean, Just look at how much inequality but there's, has there's, increased. There's, there's, I mean, Faisal, you said it right there. You know, lobbying is purely a, a, a regulatory mistake. I mean, to think that uh, the government allows people to buy politicians, who you know, whose fault is that? It's, you can't blame the corporations if politicians uh, allow through law the the advent of yeah, spending but, money on lobbyists. But, I mean, you that know, is so unconstitutional you, so you had, in you itself. Had, you had acts. You had a lot of acts. You know, the Glass-Steagall Act is one that I know of. There were many other acts that limited the amount of campaign donations that you could do, et cetera, et cetera. And all those acts have been repealed and are now been taken advantage of. This is a this is a factual thing for every one congressman who would even dare look at congressman or congresswoman who even dare look at the the banking or the financial laws. There are five lobbyists, you know, to counter that. And you you are talking SMEs. Not I don't mean small and medium industries. I mean uh, enterprises, I mean small subject matter experts, people who are absolutely the best in it, and they work for the they work for the big corporations, and they're able to lobby. And what and what sort of background do you think an average congressman or a congresswoman has when it comes to economics? Not much. So yeah, so the yeah, lobbying, I, so you know, the lobbying is very very strong, and slowly and slowly they're eroding it. You know. Yeah, I mean, lob- lobbying is is the mistake. I mean, to allow and, super and if you think, if either of you think, or either one, you know, whatever your position may think that you know Hillary is good, or you know, they're both work for corporate entities, both of them. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. It, I, I it, think what's what's getting screwed is middle America, the average, you know, uh, uh, blue collared worker, uh, the yeah. average, you know, white collar totally. worker is getting totally screwed in this thing. And and, well, and and I think Fessel, if you were if you were winding the clock, the the reason we look at things and, and we say now like racism's coming back and misogynistic views, I think these are just these are the explanation. These are the outputs from the economic mistakes that we've made. Frustration. I mean, yeah, simple. Yeah, you know, people are not you all need, of a sudden you need, more racist. You need a yeah. donkey to pin the tail on. That's yeah, it. Yeah, you know? totally. Well, and uh, frankly, if we looked at if we we're not pinning the the tail on the donkey of the government for impacting these higher cost to hire people, which are reducing jobs. Well, so I, I think the, the look the, at that's yourself. Very much the scapegoat. Look at yourself in the forties, the fifties, and the sixties, the golden years. What all good America did, and then from the you know the decline started after uh, in in the seventies. All the good that America did is now been incorporated by socialists or leftists or centrist states by, let's say, in Europe and, you know, the Nordic countries and so forth. And they're doing damn good. They're doing damn good, you know. And it's not that these ideas were Nordic ideas to start with. They were actually borrowed from America. Exactly. And, you know, somewhere down the line, America lost, you know. 
I, I think I think basically we can, if we really want to look where economic uh, impacts really started from the quote unquote American dream, which began in the Industrial Revolution and turn of the century, uh, late 1800s, uh, all the way up to the 1970s, it was the dedication that we had to uh, oil industry. When the um, petroleum industry started rising up in the 70s, uh, there was a direct correlation of a de- decline of uh, the American way of life, if you will. And we started to see the decline in manufacturing in these cities. The next wave was, the um, let's call it the Japanese wave, where the Japanese essentially, uh, through their automobile technology and calling the market the right way at the right time, uh, they also sucked a great deal of the wealth, and they were the beginning of the manufacturing jobs leaving the United States. And then finally— But, Brian, I I would have to disagree. It's not that the other—the globalization is a fact. It's not a myth. But the fact of the matter is the companies are making decisions that, listen, you know, it's cheaper for us to manufacture overseas. The company is. Now, that company— 20 years, 30, what, 40, 50 years ago had a union. The union could stop the jobs from going overseas. Today, they do not have that voice. Well, you know, listen, the bottom line is if you can manipulate your currency and you can exploit your worker, and I think when I use the word exploit, I want to make it a more universal type of uh, uh, determination. And exploitation of a worker in a global marketplace is that worker is making substantially less than what the value of their product truly is in the marketplace. Now, but even even then, Brian, I mean, no, no, it, take, there, take, I think, okay, take China out. Take China out of the equation. Well, Look that's at where a big these, part of it. No, no, no. India. Okay, no. But, but but let me say, take China. Look at Germany. Look at the Nordic countries. Look at Europe. Many American car manufacturers manufacture their things over there, and parts, uh, high-end uh, stuff is done, still done. Uh, high-end machinery still made in Germany, Switzerland, and so forth, and they sure. are paid way more than the American worker. It is still about all you know where taxation comes into being. It is you, you have to understand the the boardroom does not give pardon my french a fuck about the uh, mid, middle america it they, they just not. don't yeah. they will tell you otherwise but that's all bs you know what i know but faisal that's not anything new i mean every person acts individually and for the benefit of the good of yeah, the company no 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 but the I, thing is when you when you, when you so see there've been a cascaded series of events that have followed that have chiseled down the what uh what sort of, you know, even a say that this, these people had, the union, the factory workers, etc. They have no say now, nothing. You look at Walmart, you can't have a union over there, if I'm not mistaken, right? Walmart well, if you're a worker any. at Walmart and you're getting paid, you know, $10 an hour, you can no always minimum leave. Wage, can, right? <laughs> yeah, but you can leave. You, if there's another company who found out a way to pay workers higher and sell more goods, then that, that worker at Walmart see, should go see, up this and is, leave. See, this, this is what the, the, the neoclassical economists will tell you. The fact of the matter is, if you go back 200 years, the profits of the company were such that everyone was happy. Not to get excessively greedy. Exactly. Yeah. The remainder of the money was invested in the people who worked for the company. Their life, you know, a a tire salesman, like you said, actually, or, or a tire repair salesman in the 50s could actually buy a house, the wife did not need to work, send his kids to college. Cannot yeah. do that today. You know, the difference, Faisal, no. is, is, is taxes, man. I mean, I mean, we pay close to 50% in taxes. America is a overtly capitalist society, but invertly very socialist. 
I mean, you can't say that th- that I fully agree that that was the situation. But ta- taxes back then, payroll taxes, workers' comp, liability. I mean, the the threat of anyone if you so, let them go. Okay, fine. So let me ask you a simple, a simple thing: hundreds of thousands of dollars. If, you, if you you're making seventy five thousand dollars in the U.S., you get taxed at thirty eight percent. If you make six hundred plus thousand dollars, you can actually go down to as low as eighteen percent. That sure, I think to that's me, a total. Yeah, it's I mean, a, definitely a mistake in the way that's structured. Well, you know, listen, if you're making $600,000 in, in a small business, you're being taxed at 67%. Uh, you know, the, uh, those numbers are used uh, because those are numbers used by people who are in the investment class. People who are investing money and making money through uh, passive investments, they make $600,000 and get capital gains, and yeah, they can pay less than anybody. But in, in hardworking uh on their way to becoming a millionaire, and they're and they formed an LLC. By the time they're done, they can be at sixty-seven percent tax basis, and that's absolutely See, insane. Again, it, no, no, but that too. But you also have to understand there's a snowball effect, right? So something small, you know, the, the money they collect becomes bigger and bigger, and the top one percent they have they're holding on to a lot of wealth, right? And at the end of the day. They have an opportunity to do some speculative investments. Speculative sure. is the key word here. And they generate a lot of money from it. On the other hand, they have they can do products and services, make factories. Factories that take time to build, time for products to come out, time for them to do, and make a, a little bit of a profit over there. Guess what they choose? Speculative. The money yeah. is not being channeled into products, services, factory repairs, infrastructure, etc. It's just not going there. And that's because the incentives right now within the the tax system, as it is made, the tax system is not unilaterally perfect. Is that they're favoring people to make uh, their investments like a um, uh, well, I like going to a casino. And the bottom line is, you can do things to reel that back in. That is an abnormality in the normal way that business was conducted for most of the history of the United States. And by giving the the benefit of somebody, this is why VCs are so big right now. This is why you see so much money in there. We have an economy that has a 0% interest rate effectively for savings. Uh, bonds aren't producing anything. And there's a tremendous amount of free money moving around. So they give it to a essentially a casino to bet on a startup. And if there's a thousand startups and one is an Uber, everybody feels like they won. Now, yeah. now we, we might think that that's okay, but if you really take a rational look at it, and I don't want to hurt any of my friends who are VCs or anybody in the startup world, that that is a very contorted reality. And that money could do just as well. I know thousands of people who can start manufacturing businesses around this country. I've talked to them over 30 years. Yeah, but Brian, and and they the can the literally day. do a better job and sell it at a decent price. There's no capital formation that allows them to do that right now. That's what I'm trying no, to say. No, but, the investment but, dollars aren't there. So they can't even get the VCs out. to look at them. Hear me out. So at this, you, you can, today is the 13th of November. It's a Sunday, 2016. Go measure what the inequality rate is today. I'm sure there's some statistic out there. Go measure sure. the amount of wealth that the top 1% is holding. Go it's measure insane. the average median wage of an average American worker today. And I can guarantee you at the end of the presidency, uh, the Trump presidency, that number will not change in favor of America. It'll go against I, it. I, I, I would disagree if... If regulation and cost of labor go down, listen, I my mean, friend, if we, uh, so what, whatever hap- one, has, whatever has to happen in the four years, I can guarantee you it will not happen. 
Yeah. So I, I think if we so if we purely go on the same path and we increase the costs, the taxes, it, nothing will change. You know, the outsider's view does have the potential to, to change the way the social debt and the the in, internal relationships uh, occur. So I, I I think I kind of agree with Brian in the sense that um, if if we're actually going to see a change and an increase in the middle class, it will come from people investing more into atoms. The reason between bits and atoms now is, you know, more money goes into bits, but I think more money lopsidedly goes into bits in Silicon Valley because of the fact that there's overregulation on creating manufacturing. Exactly. I mean, just tr- exactly. trying to, we are not seeing the stimulus. I mean, what has happened in the last 10, 15 years? Look at the 40s and 50s. We created the banking industry, the airline industry, the entertainment industry, um, you know, most industry. of the transportation, the computer industry. Industry, the you know all of nuclear everything. power yeah the power plants were all created I mean this was like a span of 15 years I mean in the last 15 years you know you don't see that kind of uh, development on the machine and, and and the the atom side of things because money is just too expensive to invest I mean yeah, yeah. if you're easy, presenting e- easy money if, on the other too, side right on the speculative yeah side. say, exactly. say I, I graduate with a mechanical engineering degree and I want to go build this next device uh, you know and I want to set up a, a manufacturing plant well now you got to deal with OSHA now you got to hire people on this you know have a manual Manufacturing Pollution floor, which laws, has yeah. a lot. You have all these barriers and blockers. You're like, ah, I'm just not even going to do it. I'm either just going to go get a job or start a software company or learn. Or, or you, know, you can call somebody up in China and their pollution, <laughs> yeah. they, and they don't have pollution laws. They can dump. Yeah. I mean, listen, they they're walking around with masks on their face. They they can't even drink their water, right? <laughs> I, uh, yeah. People, you know, listen. When we buy an iPhone. We're buying an iPhone from somebody who's living inside essentially a factory. These people are literally across the street on the factory grounds. They live in dormitories. They work 18 hours a day and they produce our devices. And yes, we gladly pay for them. Now, again, I'm not trying to say unionize. I'm just saying that no matter how you want to look at that, that is an exploited class of people. They have no, they have no natural uh, self-determination. They're literally a, a captive of the company. And that is an inequality in a sense that if we are saying that, oh, it's free trade and whoever has a cheaper uh, production is going to get it better. Sure. But then there's the other aspect. What impact does it have on humanity? And in two ways. One, do we want to see our uncles and our cousins and our whoever's living in the Midwest and other parts of the world in the country, the United States, do you really want to see them just become a flyover area where they maybe they're farmers and otherwise they, they don't exist? And we don't want to ever make anything here again because that's too below us and somebody can do it cheaper. No, I mean, I, no, I, what, for Brian, what would be the, you know, what would be the potential path forward? I mean, my stance is clear, right? I think Occupy Wall Street, Wall Street should have been aimed at Washington, D.C., you know, outside <laughs> the White House and change policies so that it costs less to hire people. I think, you know, no one is ever, 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 and we'd be crazy to think if we're going to all of a sudden change how people act to, you know, all of a sudden executives at companies just, we say, you know, we're just going to give money to to people off the street, and we're not going to care about ourselves first. I think the the beauty in the capitalism is that it, it creates a sense of urgency for people to create progress. And, you know, market dictates what is progress. You know, if you're earning profit from what you're doing, the market is telling you this is worth doing, and this is something you should keep investing in. Exactly. Um, so, so, all right, the next couple of months, especially this next couple of days, uh, people are going to have to find their way through what had taken place this last year. And I, you know, you guys know I've off the air personally warned about the 
psychological damage that will happen to many people when this um, presidential campaign is over. And uh, I don't like seeing it. I, 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 it's, it's hard for anybody to watch friends and families, you know, uh, go to crying, um, you know, uh, meetups and, um, you know, all these different <laughs> things. Um, you know, the bottom line is what we have to do as people is we have to believe that we are going to make something better. And we also have to invest in the rationality of what is here right now. You know, if if you're sitting in a log cabin and you want to live at the top of a of a skyscraper and it's the late 1800s, you don't cry and get mad that you can't get to that place. There there is a way to get to that place. Now, if you firmly believe, if you firmly believe that America was wrong, then you have to ask yourself, why did so many people go into stealth mode and vote against what you think was the rational uh, person to vote for? Uh, I, I'm, I'm not saying who the right or wrong person was. What I'm saying is human beings, in if you look at the map, and the map looks awfully red to me everywhere except a few blue dots around city areas or along the coasts, what did they see that you and I maybe didn't see? Sure. Let me give you, let me a couple couple of viewpoints either way. You know, so the left would say, "Hey, there's a lot less education in the middle of the country. Clearly, need we need to invest so, more so, into education." So call them that, dumb. Let me right? let me no no. L- l- yeah, l- l- yeah, well, l- l- let me just give both sides first. We'll give yeah. me one sec. So we say, and this is something I've you know just had a lot of conversation with on at Summit at Sea. You know, so people are will say the word racist. Will say the word they just think different in the middle of the country. They are incentivized by different things and lacking a desire to make progress. Um, you know, the right will say things like, uh, you know, the left is uh, is greedy. You know, they're making a ton of money. They don't they don't see how we're living. Um, they don't view Trump literally. They view him figuratively. They don't, they don't take his literal words on the left. They, they view they scrutinize the individual words that he says. Not saying one is better or worse. I mean, you have to pay attention closely to uh, to what you literally say because people will take you literally. But you also have to look at the initial campaign as you know, with the direction that a, uh, a you know, a philosopher or a politician would go, you know, building a wall could mean literally building it, or it could mean electronic wall, it could mean instituting some form of, you know, better. Well, all he's saying is, there's 730,000 people a year that try to sneak from Mexico to the United States, you know, every year, 43% of the half of them get in half don't out of the half that don't 43% again, try the next year. And so, you know, we're going to try and, you know, his standpoint is we're going to try and lower that number. Um, well, and each each topic sort of has that individual agenda. Well, on let's it. Um, unpa- let's unpack the, some. The, of it. Let's unpack some of this because I think it's really important. I think that whenever we see somebody get elitist, and you know, we we've had these shows for quite a long time, and one of the one of the themes I try to bring up is just how full of yourself you can become. Uh, including myself, any of us, and you have to constantly humble yourself by touching reality sometimes. And I mean touching reality outside your normal comfort areas. I spend most of my life doing that. And when you start calling people stupid or uneducated, and that's why they voted a certain way, then you've already made a mistake. Here's something that I think is very important for people to understand. Look at the map of all the little counties that are red. Then look at the map that voted President Barack Hussein Obama into office, right? A president of two terms. 
And the exact same areas that are red right now voted the first African-American president with a name, middle name of Hussein into office. And I tell anybody that wants to say that that same little red block that we call a county in the middle of nowhere that was blue and voted that president into office, that you call them racist, that you're not in the real world and you need to take a step back. No, I, 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 I fully agree. I, I'm, I'm not, not I'm just, this is the, listen, this is the, I gotta this say the confusion this. that happens. This, this is, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm pro Trump, pro Hillary. I'm just showing you the rationality. I'm just saying you're a data scientist. You're in Silicon Valley. You're crying right now. Look at the map. And before you use the term racist, ask yourself whether or not that caused this problem to begin with. This whole labeling on both sides, this allows you and I to have a, a real conversation. The moment moment you label me, that's when you have stopped dialogue. And when you go into Twitter right now, right this second, and track this, people are still calling each other names. They're still pointing fingers. They're saying things like, I can't believe that my country is so racist. Yet that same country voted in historically the first African-American president. He ascended to power and he did a job. Yeah, I think what you're saying, Brian, is that a lot of people who voted right here, voted for Trump, um, they're not valuing his specific, they're not valuing his words or his view on race as more important of an issue than their economic feasibility and livelihood. It's, I mean, it's more, as it's, you would it's, expect, it's, right? It's, it's no, number that. one priority if for anyone is providing food and providing for your family, well, you know, and, 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 you know, and you have, when you live in a nice city like New York or LA or SF and you view the world as, you know, we want to progress past the, we, we've accomplished this, the economic feasibility, right? I have an apartment, I have a job. Now I'm fighting for social good and I'm fighting for so, the social progress. Well, and I think that the alliance, people are debating on different terms, one social, one's yeah, economic. But, but, but hold on. Everything is economic. The social thing doesn't exist unless you have strong economic. And, and the problem is this for a lot of people who are really emotionally upset, it may have been their first election or second election. Maybe, maybe they're young enough where they voted for Mr. Obama the first time and he became president. But what I'm trying to say is, you know, a lot of people on the other side thought the world would end when, uh, when, when President Obama came to office. And guess what? It didn't happen. Uh, he healed the country from a very bad economic decline, and he and he, and I think he's going to go down as doing some good and some bad, like every other freaking president. Uh, but but here we are at this stage in time, and you know we have a president that has been duly elected, and through a mechanism that if it didn't exist, the electoral college. There's probably a good chance we wouldn't have even had any Democratic presidents for most of the last hundred years. Uh, you know, I, we can argue and split hairs about the popular vote, not popular vote, whatever. But the thing is, it's a system that was in place. Yeah, no one's. I, I don't think people we'd fight this. I mean, the system's just the oh, way no, to no, keep scoring. Mike, you know, Mike, you, Mike, you have to go say out, go out and watch no, what some you. people are doing, throwing brick I, through I windows. I think Brian, where that comes right, from is a general sense. Brian, and, uh, from, and 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 Brian. telling us. Us, most of these people are anarchists, right? Telling us that, you know, we suck and our flag was never really any good. It was never. I think a a lot of that stems, a lot of that is just going to stem from the frustration of losing. You wouldn't hear those same people making those same arguments if, you know, if if it went on the other end of the spectrum. And gentlemen, we have to wrap it up. (laughs) 
so much more to talk about, though. As fun as this is, but the thing is, I think it, it goes to say that, you know, we will find out uh, most likely every quarter as to how he is sharing and if you were right or you were wrong. And how you know, the four years. Here's what I'm saying. It is. A, it's a huge thing about right or wrong. Well, you know, listen, you guys know what my feeling is in the next four and eight years. Uh, I'm not going to be publicly stating it. But what I will say is this, that between now and then, why don't we stop beating people over with a blunt instrument that we call social media? Why don't we stop using that tool? Because guess what? The guy or gal that got elected into office used your disruptive mechanism that you thought was so disruptive. We have a disruptive individual who is now in office that used a disruptive mechanism called social media to ascend and rise to this level. So when we're so proud. And we're crying foul, right? And we're crying foul. We're crying foul. And well, maybe yeah, at this point, you want to have as many smart advisors around him as possible. Well, well everyone, well, you know, everyone who joins them, should, you know, you you, well, you should embrace the it, Peter Thiel's and all. Here, the here's what I could tell you: if any of you people out there listening to me have ever been around a CEO of a company that's earning many millions of dollars, and they've been in that company for a while you know that they are the definition of being able to maximize the talent around them. They are not intellectual on their own. They use the minds of other people around them. And I have no, I have no uh, reservations that that's going to be taking place now. Whether it's going to be for better or for worse in some people's mind, we'll see. But in the meantime, let this be a lesson to all of us to stop labeling to stop calling people names on either side and maybe to just try to say, you know, we got a lot of things in common and we got a few little uh, snippets here where we're not in common. And let's start talking because maybe the next four years or the next eight years, whatever, maybe the next time a different person will rise up, a different type of individual, an individual that everybody can agree this person should and needs to be president. Because I tell you right mm. now, if we keep it up with calling everybody by a name, we will not find that person to want to serve office. We have e eradicated certain individuals of high quality and high character to even want to run because they will be labeled no matter how good they are. Yeah, totally. And I, I think you have to just look at it from the, the pendulum. You know, the pendulum just swung. And, you know, most likely you'll, you'll see some results from that. People protest, but then it's going to come back. And I think you'll see, you know, far left swing and far right swing as it does. But that's how progress gets made. I mean, we take one step left and forward and back. And, and uh, you know, overall, you have to look at the progress made across decades. I, um, I know this. But you, humanity is always going to survive in one way or another unless we completely eradicate ourselves. And some people might think yeah. that that's happening. Uh, but I, I put it this way. Life on Earth sooner or later will overcome. And if we're not smart enough to be the intelligent life on the planet – and ten move to Mars. Ten, you know, no, yeah. or ten or twenty million years, another form of intelligent life will rise up. Maybe it's the dolphins. Maybe the dolphins, without any opposable thumbs, are sitting there in the water, looking up with their little bottle nose and saying, "Our time is soon." Yeah. <laughs> you know, and on that knows? note, anything is possible. <laughs> on that note, we have to end it, gentlemen. It's been great talking to you. Wonderful day. Wonderful we'll day speak here next today. week. Thank you very much. Thanks, gentlemen. You take care. 
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.